The producers of this podcast and their partners are careful to ensure that all stories protect patient confidentiality. The views of providers heard in these conversations are their own and not their employer. You're listening to Conversations of the Heart, Prescriptions for Healing. This is a glimpse behind the scenes of medicine, focusing on the very human stories in every patient and provider interaction. I'm Kathy Werzer. In many hospitals, grand rounds have been a long-held tradition where a few times a month, a group of young residents and medical students present a patient's case to senior physicians. The case is discussed and dissected. It's an important part of medical education. Now, consider how such a gathering might be different if the case was presented and analyzed not from a medical point of view, but through the lens of human emotion, and not from the patient perspective, but from the provider's. You hear cases about end of life. You hear cases where people learn different things from from their patients. You hear cases where people provide those small acts of kindness that made a difference, that made the unbearable bearable for people. It's called Schwartz Rounds, and it's being done in hospitals all over the world. We'll explore that in this episode of Conversations of the Heart, Prescriptions for Healing, made possible by the Richard M. Schultz Family Foundation and donors to the End in Mind Project. Healthcare providers embody the definition of compassion, which is having concern for the suffering, distress, or pain of others. But as we saw during the COVID pandemic, compassion, like PPE and ventilators, is a finite resource. The Schwartz Center for Compassionate Healthcare in Boston supports caregivers, healthcare providers, and others in bringing compassion to every healthcare experience. The center had its beginnings in a healthcare crisis that was experienced by Ken Schwartz, a healthcare attorney who had advanced lung cancer. It was in the mid 1990s. It was the height of the managed care era. And what he saw was systems of, of uh, processes and systems being put into place that was really going to put barriers between clinicians, teams, and their patients. And he was very, very worried about that. That's Dr. Beth Laun, Chief Medical Officer for the Schwartz Center for Compassionate Healthcare. But he described these exquisite moments of compassion that to him meant more than all the radiation, the surgery, the chemotherapy he had received, and in his words, made the unbearable bearable. So a couple of days before he died, he gathered his family together at his side, at his bed, and asked them to start a center so that compassion would never be extinguished in healthcare. Ken Schwartz died a few days later, which left his family to figure out how to honor his wishes. Ken received his care at Mass General in Boston, so his family asked for advice from Ken's care team. And said, you were so compassionate to Ken, our loved one. What do you need to stay that way? And they all said, we need a place to be together, to talk to each other, to share our experiences, to process what we are seeing, feeling, thinking, and we just don't have anywhere else to do that in healthcare. 
that's what we need to stay alive. And so that's how the first program of the Schwartz Center was born. And Schwartz Rounds was launched in the MGH Cancer Center by the physician who had taken care of Ken Schwartz and his nurse practitioner and the rest of that team and Ken's family. And, you know, from there, they have just grown and spread organically. We've not really promoted, advertised, or done anything to spread the word. The gatherings supported by the Schwartz Center are called Schwartz Rounds, based on the concept of grand rounds, but focusing on the emotional fallout for caregivers and healthcare providers around certain cases. Biba Tata Embeng is the manager for spiritual care at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. In Jacksonville, Florida, just as Beth has described, Schwartz Rounds is the landing place, a place where caregivers come together to share those things that they are holding, the emotions, the things that they cannot share in any other place, (laughs) to come together to just be vulnerable, to know that this is a confidential and a safe space where we can share authentically how we are feeling about the care that we provide every day for the patients. Do you have specific cases you talk about, or is it just generally how the providers are feeling? Sometimes it could be cases. For example, we've had a short rounds where people were reflecting about a patient they will never forget. And you hear different perspectives. You hear cases about end of life. You hear cases where people learn different things from from their patients. You hear cases where people provide those small acts of kindness that made a difference, that made the unbearable bearable for people. So we've also seen a case where people reflected on a patient that impacted them more than other patients and how people hold compassion, especially in times of discord right, in very difficult situations, how do people hold compassion and keep coming back to do this work and keep, yeah, keep coming back every day. What what keeps them alive? That's what Beth was describing, like the human side of medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Kathy, can I jump in? There are two ways to do the rounds. As Biba has said, they can be Mm case-based. You know, it's interesting too. I think when we first started, we were often doing cases we call cases, but really they're the stories of a particular patient or family as told by the team that took care of them. Different perspectives might be a social worker, a physician, a nurse, you know, anybody really involved in the care of that that individual for whatever kinds of issues that person raised. Sometimes we would talk about issues, uh, for example, when people didn't agree around what the goals of care should be. Very common topic, B, but I'm sure you'll agree with that. You know, when there was disagreement about what should the goals be and therefore what should our plans be. So um, conflict over goals of care would be a case-based discussion with different perspectives from different roles and different kinds of caregivers weighing in. One of the incredible things that happens there is you get to see the same situation told from so many different points of view, it's really remarkable because you don't often, we're, we're trained as, as healthcare professionals to look through a particular cultural lens 
that is ingrained, it is trained, is it is enculturated. Um, and so you have an opportunity to really see things from a completely different cultural lens that sheds a very interesting new perspective on the care of a particular patient. And it's always a learning experience, you know, especially the first couple of years of the pandemic where people were coming to Schwartz Rounds as a lifeline, really, uh, you know, here's the lifeboat, let's keep afloat together. That's right, Beth. So in the middle of the pandemic, most of our topics were centered around fear, uncertainty, isolation, grief, because oh. those were the stories that people were looking for. And people would come to these spaces and what they would take away would be, I am not alone in this journey. That's yes. what Schwartz Rounds provides. There is that forum where there is that resonance, someone sharing their story. I have been isolated because I've lost my community. I've lost touch with my family. I am uncertain. Where is this pandemic going to? And people sharing from different perspectives. But there is that resonance of I am not alone in this mm. journey. The mm. power of we are together. So holding these stories and knowing that there is this shared understanding and shared connectedness. To me, that's the beauty of what Schwartz Rounds gives to healthcare providers. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, you create what appears to be a safe space so individuals can be vulnerable. Is there yes. something about medicine that providers are not trained to be vulnerable and they just keep it all bottled up? So does this offer them an outlet? Uh, <laughs> so trained as a physician, yes. Um, you know, I think it is changing to some degree now, but the expectation has been that you basically put your shoulder to the grindstone and you soldier on and you don't complain. Your, your role, your responsibility is the care of others. And, um, you know, initially altruism, I think, you know, was even part of the, um, the um, you know, the sort of the doctrine on professionalism. You always put others' needs above one's own. And now we're trying to balance that a little bit, you know, <laughs> with caring for yourself is not a sin. It is a necessity in order to care for others. But I think, you know, this this notion of compartmentalizing our pain and our suffering and really not having the skills or the wherewithal to know how to deal with it. I think what Biba said about we're carrying so much pain and it's just sort of isolated and compartmentalized and there's no way to really work through it without these kinds of safe reflective spaces and what ultimately happens is you know it gets the better of you you can't just carry that without some kind of working through it because otherwise ultimately your ability to uh, to flourish as a person as a human being to love to provide excellent care to be compassionate, that, that takes its toll. You can't, can't compartmentalize such a heavy load forever. It needs to find a space and an outlet. It needs to be shared. To, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. To, to add to that, Kathy, many short round sessions have really moved me, but there was this one, and just to tie it to the topic that we are talking about now, about providers, like I am strong. I have been trained to do this, to have it all together. Am I able to cry? So we, we had these rounds with a group of providers who were 
like early on in their careers, right? And they were sharing about, I know I'm not supposed to make any mistake. When they came to these rounds, they were ready to talk about the times that they made a mistake, the times that they were able to ask for help. Mm. They were able to cry. Mm. And it was so surprising to those who were in the audience who were also starting their career. They would say, you were able to cry and you were Mm -hmm. able to ask for help. And one said, I was able to pause in front of my patient's room and make sure that I'm bringing my whole self into that space intentionally. And the, the, the visit changed. There was that transformation that happened because I walked into that space knowing I am coming to this patient, giving in my all. And that is compassion, right? When if you are not present with your whole self, then there is like, there's a barrier right there. So it was so moving that people who have been trained to be strong, to have it all together, were able to speak of their own vulnerability, to be asked for help and to cry and to say, I don't, I don't have it all together because I am human. I am a doctor, but I am human. Mm-hmm. Of course, we hear about compassion fatigue, right? Which is a real thing in the world of healthcare. Does this offer an outlet where one can still admit that they are human, you know, and this this is a very difficult position to have and maybe refill that compassion well? Yes. Yeah, I think um, we use different terms. You know, the, the neuroscientists, sorry to get geeky here, but the neuroscientists would say that, um, you know, there are different definitions and pieces of sort of the compassion cycle. Um, the first piece is being able to recognize suffering, the signs of suffering, which aren't always right out there in the open. You know, sometimes it's a barely visible tear in the eye, and sometimes it's a sort of sideways clue to what might be happening inside because patients don't always divulge what they're really, really, really worried about. But, you know, it's that recognition. And then there's this resonance that happens. If you can really understand what someone has experienced, there's an emotional process in the brain that happens. And then you try to make sense of it. But um, once empathic concern is generated, that leads to this deep desire and motivation to address and reduce the suffering that you have perceived. So that is what compassion is. It's the recognition, the understanding as best you can from outside the experience of it, the resonance and the motivation to do something about it, coupled with action to relieve it. So the empathy can fatigue, but compassion, once generated, that doesn't fatigue. What happens is that things get in the way of acting on it. And of course, right now, you know, we're seeing that happen. We're seeing so much impediments to the expression of compassion. Uh, you know, then these are just some very practical things like staffing shortages, resources, you know, the sort of financial impacts of the pandemic. And increasingly, there's more hostility and violence that's being expressed towards healthcare, you know, uh, caregivers and providers. So those are, um, you know, systemic issues that provide barriers. So what we can do is we can affect that process 
up to, you know, the barrier point and sustain the compassion that is innate and that is hardwired in all of us. We can sustain it so it doesn't fatigue. And then the rest of our work in different ways has to really, I believe, and that's what the short center is sort of turning to do, focus on some of the organizational and systemic barriers to its expression. Biba, do you have anything you'd like to add about this? I just like um, Beth's idea of sustaining the compassion, right? Sustaining the compassion. There's something about healthcare can be very hurried and hurried. So Mm -hmm. that moment where people have this time and the space to sit down and reflect or to pause for a moment before they go back to those activities where we are giving out of that well of empathy, out of that which is within us, that moment that we come back into this session of of short rounds to, to pause and to reflect, to hear and to see and to feel the experiences of others is a way of sustaining that empathy, it's a way of sustaining the compassion to refill that well. So yes, that's what I think that's what we we are striving for to to be able to sustain to sustain that compassion. Yeah. Do you think that the goals of the shorts rounds are contributing to the resiliency of healthcare workers and how have you seen that unfold? Well, I can talk about what we know from research that we have done. We were curious about three things. We were curious about whether or not participating in Schwartz rounds does deepen our sense of empathy and compassion, make it more likely that we'll experience and express it to patients, families, and to each other. And so that sort of deepened sense of of compassion, self-reported, admittedly, you know, but also we were interested in to what extent does this affect our sense of who we are within the context of a team? And I think one of the interesting things we explored in that initial study was do Schwartz rounds open us to the perspectives of others that we work with day to day as we care for patients and family members? You know, to what extent do we really hear, listen to, and absorb the not just the roles and responsibilities, but the perspectives of our coworkers? So we were curious about that. And then certainly we wanted to explore whether or not Schwartz rounds diminished the sense of stress and feeling alone, you know, feeling isolated in our work. So the first study that we did looked at those three domains and saw impacts in all three. And especially they tended to increase over time the more rounds you attended. It's like a dose response curve to a medication. The more you attended, the more strongly people endorsed those outcomes and especially if they went with members of the team that they work with. So that was our first study. And then more recently, our partners in the United Kingdom did a really fantastic study. And what they showed was that those who attend the Schwartz rounds, as compared with those who do not, have significantly reduced levels of psychological distress. So we know that our goals, you know, providing safe space, opening us up to the experiences of empathy and compassion, connecting us with our coworkers to build a sense of being part of a a collective, of a team, and diminishing isolation, psychological distress, 
sense of being alone and isolated, those were some of the goals of Schwartz Runs, and those are in fact impacted by the program. I'm wondering. Go ahead. Yeah. So I just wanted to add that what Beth just explained that we have seen in research, what we are experiencing here at Mayo Clinic is aligning with what that research is saying. Because more than 90% of those who are attending Schwartz rounds at Mayo Clinic are saying that that session, the sessions make them to feel more connected to their colleagues, more connected to their sense of purpose uh-huh. and their sense of well-being. Biba, you do this all the time. You create, again, a safe space for these heartfelt conversations to occur, right? I'm wondering, but they sound like they're mostly between colleagues. Can patients or patient families be a part of this? And does that change the dynamic? We tend to discourage patients attending, uh, you know, and family members attending, because what we have seen happen is that everybody in the room is going to want to support and address the suffering of the patient and the family, if that's what's occurring. And that is not what the rounds are about. And so we've been pretty, you know, pretty consistent in saying, you know, these are for us. We need time for us. And I understand that. I wonder, is there a way to increase the connection between provider and patient? Well, you know, I think one thing that does happen is that when you hear a patient's story or situation or experience from all these different points of view, you you do understand the patient. It's not directly connecting us to a patient in real time, but it's an imagining. It's a, it's a, it's, it heightens your ability to imagine the, the life of someone else, particularly a patient. We're going to have, so I, I still facilitate Schwartz rounds in my own hospital. I've been doing it since, what, 2004. And we're about to have um, an incredible Schwartz rounds around what happens when you actually see a patient in his or her home. And so when I was talking to the panelists for this Schwartz rounds, I was so incredibly moved because these panelists just described so well the circumstances of these folks that they were visiting at home. You know, what it felt like to walk in, what those patients look like in their own context, in their own setting, how different it is to see someone in their lived experience as opposed to in a sterile, you know, clinical environment. And what it meant to them to, to realize all of this, you know, how they adjusted, how they thought about what they should recommend, how they should plan, how they should be present with this patient or the wife or the spouse or the husband or whoever else. You know, it changed how they were with those those people, those patients. So in, in a sense, we hear these stories, we hear these rich stories of patients' lives not just our experience, you know, our experiences and our reaction to them. You have to have the context to sort of build on. So there's always a little bit of sort of setting the ground and, and you know, painting the picture before you can share your own experiences. That's how I tried to prepare the panelists so that we have some contextual basis for understanding why we react in the way we do. So that's a kind of a, a slant answer to your to your question, Kathy, maybe. Biba, what were you going to say? 
I just wanted to say that's exactly right, Beth, because these rich moments of hearing the patient's story as shared by a provider serves as moments of learning for others. How would I do if I have a patient in this same situation, in this kind of situation? How would that look like? For example, there was a situation where um, someone was talking about grief and how they shared their own grief with a patient, a patient who had been non-compliant and feeling like no one was understanding them in their grief. And then this provider sat down and shared their own grief. Say, I hear you. I understand you because I've walked those shoes. I've been in a similar kind of experience, not exactly the same like yours, but this is what I've been through. Mm. And the patient just broke down like crying. This is the first time someone has really understood me before I was not feeling heard. I was not feeling like anyone was hearing me, but now I know I am being heard. And Mm. they hugged each other. Every visit from then on, their points of connection was that hug. Mm -hmm. So we hear these stories and we say, okay, if I have a patient in this kind of situation, would it be appropriate to connect with this patient in this way. So yes, those rich stories, it's not directly, but it indirectly fosters patient caregiver uh-huh. relationships. Totally agree with you, Biba. It's it gives you permission to immerse yourself in another person's experience without losing sight of the fact that it is another person, and it's not you. You know, we don't want to be vicariously traumatized, but uh you know, it does enable this act of imagination, empathic imagination, or even somatic imagination, you know, imagining what that must feel like in your body. You know, if you listen and ask questions about what that's like for a patient. So it it opens up the possibility of learning in different ways. It gives permission to be somebody that's not, you know, the transactional, removed, distanced whatever, you know, provider. And it teaches and models a way of being in relation, in relationship with others that is really invaluable. And it directly influences patient care, that kind of modeling and teaching. It sounds as though it's a real heart-opening experience. This goes to something that you and I, doctor, talked about before we started our conversation. And I and I was surprised that you used the word love. Yes, and I've never heard the word love used when describing a healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. I was surprised you even brought that up. Yeah, because we don't talk about it. But, you know, Biba knows too. Um, Biba is one of the most loving people I've ever met. But really the heart of healthcare is 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 loving the people that you take care of. You know, we're all part of this shared humanity. We are we're all sometime or another going to face death or disability or suffering or you know whatever else it is we're all part of one human family and that is all about love and falling in love with patients and knowing that you have a team behind you people who have your back so that you can do the work you need to do that's what keeps people together and keeps people in healthcare. it's it's really kind of the secret sauce you know but uh you need to give us time and you need to give us space and you need to allow and create the systems that permit this kind of deep listening and connection, not just for us in Schwartz Rounds, but for all healthcare givers mm-hmm. and patients and their family members. 
And, you know, what we're seeing instead is a move towards transactional rather than relationship-based care. And that is going to really be, you know, quite harmful. Um, I, I was going to say, I don't know if the system is able to to really handle something like this. It appears our system currently is not set up to really foster this. I agree. And what's valued in a fee-for-service type of payment plan, you know, which is largely what's still very prevalent, is that you get paid for these aliquots of service or transactional interactions rather than being paid for what patients really want and what we really want to offer, which is what is valued by the patient and what's really going to improve health rather than just treat disease. We really need a transformation of the healthcare system to be focused more on what is life-giving and not just how can we put out the fires once it's too late. May I ask this? I want to go back to the actual rounds here for just a moment, if I could. Um, Is there a specific Schwartz round conversation that comes to mind that really sticks out for you that you learned from that really hit your heart, really opened your heart you oh. want to share? There's so, 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 so many. I mean, we could go on forever, but I'm going to tell you a happy one because, you know, often you hear about suffering and mitigating suffering, but the rounds can equally be used to celebrate. And many of our members have done, for example, I mean, this doesn't, this is, um, you know, not exactly a celebration, but it is because it's a celebration of of humankind. So there have been many times when someone is really critically ill in an intensive care unit and they have a, a, you know, an adult child whose wedding is scheduled beyond the prognosis of that particular patient. And so, so many times teams have rallied and created a wedding in the ICU or in some other room so that this family member who's so ill can actually hold the hand of their loved one and walk them down the proverbial aisle, even if it's just, you know, along the bedside. And so those are some wonderful, wonderful stories that that emerge. But and we've had our share of those. I have to tell this one story. This was pre-pandemic, but we were really keen to hear the unheard voices, you know, the the voices of people who, you know, just aren't aren't spotlighted usually in a healthcare organization. And I had been doing some research with breast cancer survivors, trying to hear what their experiences were like. And I learned from one woman that the only time she felt safe and comfortable was when she was with her transporter, who had gotten to know her in the hospital and would take her from test to test back to her room. So we invited the transporters of the hospital to be the panelists for this incredibly memorable Schwartz rounds. And we heard that they really got to know patients, especially patients who were readmitted frequently. Many of them lived in the communities where the patients were living and they might bump into them in the grocery store or something, who knows, but they talked about building up their relationships with patients and would really make every effort to come down to the emergency room because their friends, their fellow transporters would call and say, hey, so-and-so's down in the ER, do you want to go, you know, take care of them and say hello and so forth? 
Well, little did we know that the manager, the supervisor of this team, was now, you know, had made it sort of as often as possible policy to reassign the same transporter to the same patient if that patient was readmitted within a given frame of time, therefore solving a problem which we haven't been able to solve about continuity and care, right? Um, but he did it, and these folks developed their own sense of panels of patients who they would shepherd through their hospitalizations and serve as an anchor. You know, and some of them, I remember one telling the story of just, you know, he was from an island in the Caribbean and singing these beautiful songs to his patient as they sort of whisked through the hospital in this little oasis of caring. And they also talked about the pain that they experienced when they realized that one of their patients was not going to survive. And the ultimate final transport and the pain that really impacted them of um, the transport down to the morgue. I have to say that the folks on this team, they were articulate, funny, moving, poignant. Their stories were beautiful. At the end of that Schwartz Rounds to a packed auditorium, standing room only, at the end of the Schwartz Rounds, everybody stood up simultaneously and gave them a standing ovation. Talk about changing culture in a healthcare organization. People were talking about that for weeks, weeks later. Yeah. So, you know, Schwartz Rounds is not always about conflict and, and difficult, difficult things. It can be a source of great celebration in our strengths. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Biba, what comes to mind a memorable shorts round for you? I will add to the beautiful story that Beth has just said. It can also <laughs> be a source of transformation. Schwartz rounds can be a place where we hear transformative stories in healthcare. So uh, what is coming to my mind is this one about intentionality and recognizing one's own bias oh. when you're providing care to patients. So it, it was these rounds where people were reflecting about the care that they bring to patients and when that care is not going well, what is happening? Even when a patient is non-compliant, is it because of the patient or is it because of the caregiver, because of the provider? how do we know? So we had these experiences where people shared, I was giving care to a series of patients, but there was this particular patient who was not getting better. We could not have a conversation. There was this tension all the time in the room. Then the provider started reflecting, what is going on? Why are these other patients down the hall getting better, responding well, and then they came to the realization that there is some bias going on in them towards this patient, that they are biased towards this patient. And so they said, okay, they're going to try something new. They're going to become intentional and bring their whole self to that room and see if something is going to change. Because they were different, right? Different race-wise from this patient. So this day they came to the patient's room and paused and said, intentionally, I'm going with my whole self. I'm going to open up and see if it's me or if it is this patient who is not getting better and we are not moving forward with their care. And it happened right there. Hmm. The transformation happened right there when they realized their own bias towards this patient. 
So when they realized that they opened up, the patient was responding. The patient became open and then things changed. The patient started getting better. It was a moment of learning. It is a lesson that this provider cherished till this day and they still hold and they tell everyone that story. Hmm. Recognize your own bias. Be intentional. Pause before you go into that room and listen to yourself what is going on because the patients sense it. They perceive if something is going on with their caregivers, right? Where are those small acts of kindness? If we are not open, if we don't bring our whole selves, we cannot enter into and be with the patients and the people that we care for and bring that compassion at the bedside, which can show us really wonderful it to continue in healthcare. I love both of those stories. And I'm wondering this, those who are listening to our conversation, um, mm-hmm. they are providers, but they're also just the general public. And I'm wondering, do you have advice possibly for the general public patients when they next interact with their provider to, to somehow, you know, is there something that they can be thinking about that could perhaps open up lines of communication and make the relationship better with their provider? It's hard because as a patient, often you're so vulnerable and often anxious. Um, I almost, I almost hate to put a task onto a patient and that maybe that's me, you know, assuming this sort of role that it's our responsibility to be open to the patient's experience. Um, But I think, you know, if there's some way to encourage some kind of shared understanding that we are all doing the very best we can in very, very challenging circumstances now, and to just give a little grace to your healthcare team. Uh, You know, that actually... That would go such a long way, I think. I don't know, Biba, what do you think? Yeah, it is. I I know one thing, right? As a chaplain in the healthcare setting, I have come to understand that when patients come to the hospital, sometimes what they need is they want to be heard. Uh They want to feel valued. They want to be accompanied. Right. Right. So as a chaplain, when I go into that room, I want to create space to be able to make sure that I hear them because to me, compassion is like hospitality where you create an empty space where someone is able to be fully themselves, fully who they are. And when that space is created, hopefully both parties become open, right? The patient is open, the provider is open, and then there is that connection that happens so grace is that what as as beth said give grace both ways right to hear each other and if i'm not hearing can i ask do i have the space and permission to ask questions so that i'll be heard i'll feel valued and accompanied in the journey yeah yeah I have really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's been eye-opening. We don't often talk about this, you know. So I do appreciate the time that you took and what you're doing to to help 
our healthcare providers. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Kathy. It's been really wonderful to be able to talk about the things that we love, cherish, and, you know, feel called to do. Yes, this fills my heart with joy. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. That's Bipatata Mbang, the manager for spiritual care at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, along with Dr. Beth Laun, the chief medical officer for the Schwartz Center for Compassionate Healthcare based in Boston. My thanks to them for the conversation and for what they do. Ken Schwartz wrote about his illness and the care he received in an article in the Boston Globe in July of 1995, not too long before he died. In it, he wrote, For as skilled and knowledgeable as my caregivers are, what matters most is that they have empathized with me in a way that gives me hope and makes me feel like a human being, not just an illness. I think most of us would want that too. Thanks for listening to Conversations of the Heart, Prescriptions for Healing. We wouldn't be here without the support of the Richard M. Schultz Family Foundation and donors to the End in Mind Project. I am so glad you found us. If you like this, share the episode or tell a friend about us. I hope you'll download our next episode too, where we meet a young woman who had a medical secret hiding in her family tree and the doctor who hopes to have cured her. Until then, I'm Kathy Worzer. Be well.